Hey guys, just Josh here. Welcome to Ballarat Talks. Proudly sponsored by the Region Cinema. Yeah, you, yeah. you were putting the balls on the line there. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I moved, I moved out of home when I was 14, so it sort of comes really yeah. my face. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, guys. Jen Ganski. Jennifer. Joshua. This is my friend Jennifer. We are actually, we just need to catch up before we started. Um, it's been probably. Oh, how long? I want to say 18 months, two yeah, years. Yeah. I used to train Jennifer a long time ago. We used to have some good conversations, a bit of trash talk. <laughs> um, can you give the Ballarat community a bit of a bio on yourself? Just yeah, bio? of course. Um, so, North American born, Canadian mom, American dad. Uh, was educated in um, Abbotsford, which is a little town about the size of Ballarat outside of Vancouver. And then spent my adult life in and out of America and the UK. But I came to Australia originally on my gap year. And then subsequently came back and forth a couple times, uh, went to university here, um, and then returned back over to both North America and the UK for stints. And finally returned home when my um, partner at that time wanted to come home and take over the family farm. Mm. So moved from Manhattan right out to Stockyard Hill. Stockyard, it was Stockyard just Beaufort, it? Yeah, 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 so halfway between uh, Beaufort and Ararat. Yeah, I've been mm-hmm. out there a long mm-hmm. time ago. Yeah. yeah, you did some drone footage did. for me. I did, I did too. You did. Um, did you want to leave America or not? I think, I think that's a really interesting question. I think everybody asks me, is it, is it better yeah, here or worse there, right? always ask for yeah, 100%. Yeah, um, I think things are right for right now. Right. When I was in New York, I had, as you would know, and you're entering this stage, um, a a three-year-old toddler Mm. uh, in a New York City townhouse with, um, you know, very little space, lots of walk-up stairs, subway. Just if if you didn't have them on a waiting list for school ten years before they were born, you couldn't get them into preschool. Like a really a really different system. What just the yuppie? Is that like yuppie? Um, I just think a lot of it is different uh, different processes. Okay. And because I wasn't from there and I was living in America, even though my father was American on a visa, I couldn't partake in the same way um, that someone who was a citizen could. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was right for right now, and there was certainly uh, a lot of appeal to uh, moving back here and having the space and the ability for a kid to totally see something new. Now you've met my little boy. Mm, mm. I had a you know three and a half year old who could get on a subway and knew when when which train to go in in um, in Grand Central who then comes here and has no commerce ability or any ability to even know which way to look on the road. Like farm life was really now his natural yeah, thing. Yeah, habitat sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, so right for right now, do I miss New York? I think New York is unlike anything else in the world. I don't think it is America. I think it's a country unto itself. Like mm-hmm. if I'd moved from Denver, Colorado or Michigan, would my um, feelings be the same? Probably not, because as a kid I lived on and off in America and didn't have that same love. But, you know, when you're not sleeping and trying to rear a small human and living in a <laughs> closet. Like, I've had a laundry room in Australia bigger than my first apartment in New York. Was it, I, I remember a story that you told me uh, when we were training one day about, is this the place where you had a reno done or something? 
Do you oh my God! Yeah, on yeah. TV show was it? Yeah. So I had a reality television show. Yeah. You guys licensed it here, and I think it was called House Rules here. Yeah, it's still going. Yeah. yeah. So in in America, we have a television station dedicated to home improvement called HGTV, Home and Garden Television. Mm-hmm. So kind of like you have, um, I don't know. What's the one on F that's like a spin-off of SBS that you can watch porn on? <laughs> like that, Ooh. like um, Vice, oh, yeah. right? Like it's a station unto itself dedicated 100% yeah. to um, Home and Garden. Yep. And we had uh, a show with that where we were renovating in exchange for life counseling to make everything easier. And our the name of our um, episode and show was... Um, young family uh, new options so we bought a brownstone in West New York New Jersey which for those of you who aren't really familiar Manhattan is an island and you've got um, the Hudson River on one side and um, then you're on New Jersey and the Lincoln Tunnel goes Mm. under it's about a kilometer long so my apartment was about three kilometers from Times Square but on the New Jersey side yep and we bought a brownstone there, which was in a Cuban community. And the Cuban community thought we were crazy because they I all... Didn't, I remember this. I think, wasn't this the one where there was the, what, the shootings and... Was oh, that that spot? Oh, no, 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 that was... Okay, we'll get to that one. We'll get, we'll get to that one. Okay. But this one, those communities live in um, intergenerational living. It's actually really cool. Okay. So you might have a, a three-story townhouse and you have your grandparents upstairs, maybe your aunt and uncle and you downstairs and in the basement, the kids. So everybody's got a really well-established... Um, savings because you all put your money into this communal home. So then this Australian and this Canadian buy one house and it's got three different properties. So we were going to rent out the top to fund our mortgage. And the show was based around how to help guide us to do that. But the show was a nightmare. Reality TV is not reality. And my ex- I know you've had some other reality TV who, who might not be as close to their NDA. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I'm in a different country now. I can speak a little more freely about it. Yep. And I don't think it ranked very well. So, so no one's finding it. Yep. But um, yeah, a lot of it was just BS. Didn't they, and they charge, so they charge you tax on... Yeah, so in America, if you win on a game show, so let's say you're on The Price is Right, and you win the grand showcase, yep. most people leave it because you have to pay the recommended um, retail price tax on everything. So let's say you win the 110000 showcase. If the tax on that federally is maybe, you know, 15 to 16%, you're paying that on the recommended retail price, which no one pays. That's like when you see in um, Vogue Living a fridge and they say it's worth 4,000. But by the time you see it at Harvey Norman, no one's ever paying above 3,200. So so you'd only take the cash prizes, I guess, and just take the top off? Well, even, yeah, and, and most things don't have cash. So when we did our apartment, everybody swapped their work on the apartment with us for advertising. Mm. So they all got something of it, but I had to pay what they said it cost to do that renovation. And it was shonky as, yeah, it was, it was shonky. (laughs) But an interesting experience and one that I would probably never be inclined to do again. Yeah, I've seen the inside of that. No, thanks. And when when did you move out to, I remember Simon at the time telling me that, um, the like in the ghetto you were yeah so (laughs) when we first we moved from london yeah and we moved to uh new york city in about 2008 
And we lived, the only place we could afford, because I was still a journalist um, and baby journalist, mm. or cadet journalist, I guess here, at um, News Corp in London. And we moved to Spanish Harlem. So if you go um, up above Central Park, you hit Harlem. And if you stay on the east side, it's Spanish Harlem. So uh, really strong Hispanic ties, Mexican, South American, um, a bit of Cuban, uh, Puerto Rican communities. And we lived in a six-story walk-up, so no elevator. Yep. So uh, three apartments on each floor, and you wind your way up. Um, and once a year, there would be the um, gang's initiations. And you just learned about this, and someone was shot on our doorstep. Oh, God, it's not funny. But, yeah, and you just, you know, you just kind of take it in your stride. You say it's like life, which is like yeah, it's just year, it's, it's just normal life. I'm like it's like purge or something sort of thing. Well, yeah, but you know what it did cause? It caused so much rage in me when I came here that I had to check myself because we both know Josh. I'm not afraid of sharing my opinion. No, nope. No, and that sometimes gets me in trouble here. Yep. Um, I had such rage with all my friends who had prams. Do you have a pram, Josh? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's weak. What? What do you mean? You are weak. No one in New York has a bloody pram. Fuck, can you walk anywhere There's or not? Yeah, but there's no elevators. If you're getting on a subway, I'm okay with I'm okay with carrying it places. But I mean, if we're going for a six k walk, like I'm putting her in a pram. Pony up, man. No pram. Are you holding, or do you have like the strap thing then? Uh, I had like six different types of baby carriers. Yeah, you're a bitch. That's and I was like, what sort of asshole takes up two spots on a subway with a pram? Oh yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. So I would come back, here, and then they take up the stairwell because everybody's trying to get out of the subway, yeah. and you have to have two people help you carry up. So New Yorkers have this inherent rage about no people prams. with prams. Okay. And I came back, and I was like, that's the ultimate sign of weakness. Prams. Prams. Um, every Aussie family has a pram, I can imagine. <laughs> and so they're worth more money than my first car. <laughs> what the? Oh, they are expensive. Oh, yeah. they're super expensive. Yeah, baby bunting, you're in strife. I mean, just grab a second-hand one, sort of. <laughs> um, so you moved back here, mm-hmm. and then your first job was where? Where did you go? So I, I remember that you, I think the first time I met you, you were at Sovereign Hill, but where were you before? No, sorry. No. No, my bad. Mm-hmm. This is a great story. Can you tell me, you used to work for Hamish and Andy. I did. I did work for Hamish and Andy. So my last job in New York City uh, was, um, I had worked at the Guggenheim, which is a major art gallery there, and I did an apprenticeship there after being a journalist and moving to New York City. And I went into art handling and curatorial Mm -hmm. um, apprentice work at the Guggenheim. And I had a girlfriend out from where you and I live in the Pyrenees Mm -hmm. uh, who said, hey, um, I can't come out. I'm currently working with Hamish and Andy, um, and I'm having a baby. So would you maybe um, help them out? Because they're coming over to shoot a television show. Now, remember, I hadn't lived here in about six years, and I I had no idea. idea. I'm like, sure. I'll do that because I did a bit of that, worked in film and television when I was at school. So I covered the gap year. Mm -hmm time with Hamish and Andy and by the time the GFC hit in New York and we had a small human and we were just exhausted by all sorts of things because the GFC um, was crazy Um, I came home when they came back here to shoot a series back here so same time so yes I had was just I think wrapping up with Hamish and Andy Mm. and you know what I learned is I was very good at working with Hamish and Andy in a place where no one knew where they were I had no idea how famous they were. And by the time we came back here, my personality didn't lend itself 
to being with people that are stopped every five or ten minutes on the street that can't complete a meal without someone stopping. And they are the most gracious guys, and they would always, they believe their fan base are, are really their friends. Yep. You know, they love it. So they would stop. Wasn't really good for my personality, oh, is what we learned. Fuck off, keep moving. Do you, do you yeah. remember the story you told me when, uh, is it the paper planes? Oh my God, yeah. So New York City post 9-11 has a lot of rules and that I imagine we will feel globally similar when COVID's done. There'll be a lot of things that we don't return. After 9-11, um, the city had all of these particular rules and one of them is on the top of the Empire State Building you can't throw anything off. I, I would imagine that would be a rule beforehand though. Um, well, if you think there never used to be fences. Yeah, but like, come on. Well, yeah, but now it's like a almost like a chain link fence, right? Yeah. So you have to, and they wanted to put paper airplanes off of um, the top of the Empire State Building, which to me was like, oh my God, we can't do that. You don't know. They're like, well, what, no one knows it's here. We could try. And I'm like, pretty sure it's illegal. Um, so yeah, there were some shenanigans while working on Hamish and Andy that were absolutely fun and riotous and I will never be able to recreate in my life. Yep. But I also think for them, there was a lot of liberty about being in a foreign country and pushing Pushing the boundaries. They could do pushing whatever. the boundaries. But well, didn't you get arrested or something? Didn't they? Because they thought you were like... Well, <laughs> it's probably stuff I'm not... Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably well, stuff that, that yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, they were great law-abiding citizens. citizens. <laughs> but lots of shenanigans when you don't really understand the culture and you can get away with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And then, yeah, so you move, you move back to... Um, or, or both it. Yeah. And your first job here was? Uh, I worked for the Pyrenees Shire Council on a tourism maternity leave job. Okay. So I filled in at, which was funny enough, at the Avoca Library. Oh. The tourism is office was there? run. Yeah, there is. Avoca. Did you not read much? No, no hell no. <laughs> She's read Robert Hood in grade six. And I started to get involved with the wine community yep. out there. And so my first job was a temp uh, mat leave job there, um, and then uh, had some friends from New York who also had come back to Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And one of them was opening up an art space and um, modern gallery in the Yarra Valley. And simultaneously, the Archibald Prize Regional Tour was headed to the Yarra Valley. So I set up with them a uh, contemporary art space and uh, did the partnership with the um, gallery uh, space that was holding the Archibald, Tarawar, yep. there, and that kind of kicked that off. So then was still working in wine and did a stint as the brand manager for Blue Pyrenees here. Mm. And then the Archibald um, regional tour came to Ballarat, so started at the city of Ballarat to run the Archibald Prize for that, and then became the creative director for the city of Ballarat. Were you working with John Harris at Blue Pyrenees? Is that where you met him or not? No, well, funny enough, I met John Harris in originally in the Yarra Valley during my work oh, there because he was there. He was there. Yeah. yeah, but again, as here's what I've learned: everybody in Ballarat is somehow related to each other. Mm. <laughs> when I came back here, there he was, and yep. he knew people that I was working with. So wow. yeah, yeah, I see him on your your yes. board of. Yes, he was good actually. He was really fame. good. The um, he he tested tested French's. Have you tried French's Valley before or not? You gave me a bottle, oh, maybe but I'm ago. sure it was 
I thought it was maybe Elmhurst. I thought maybe it was under a different brand. Is it no, the same brand? Same, same brand. Yeah. Then yes, I have had it. Yeah. I think it and I yeah, oh. and I think your family at some stage when I was still working with the Pyrenees, great growers and winemakers and running wine events out there, um, I met them. I think you met Pa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, no, because you said mint notes and I said, What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Remember the mint, you said, yeah, the mint notes are The mint strong. notes, yeah. <laughs> That's what you said, yes. no, I do remember. It is, it's totally, you drink, um, I didn't understand that Blue Pyrenees was a term given to the mountain range there because the eucalypt burns off in the atmosphere, so the mountains look blue from afar. Right. That's why that range, and that's why they chose the name Blue Pyrenees. Huh. And that eucalypt makes the Cabernet have very distinct tastes. And mint slice was the smell that I used to get all the time, and it's like a mint taste. No, I don't get it yet, but <laughs> I'd love to have a few more breads with John, I think. Ah! Um, is, so so you, you then moved to Sovereign Hill, which is basically yes. when I met you, as like the marketing. Yeah, so I was the director of marketing there for uh, the first couple of years. Yep. And then um, it, it, my role just changed to chief marketing and design towards my last bit of time there. And that was a great place to learn. I, one of the privileges that um, I had while there is I got to do all of the trade missions for tourism, yep. both for Victoria and federally. And I would go and speak on behalf of A, both uh, cultural tourism and museums, but also Ballarat. And I don't think um, I deeply understood what was in Ballarat until I really took that job. Yep. And I started to compare it. Like I grew up in a little town called Abbotsford, which is really a suburb town, has grown up in really the last 50, 60 years outside of Vancouver, but same size. Yep. And when I go home and tell people there that I come from a city of, you know, 110 to 120,000 people, and it has four private schools, three of them boarding, it has a thousand seat opera house, it has a cinema that can have a 700 seat mm. concert in it, it has a, a lake that the Olympic rowing was on, yeah. a stateside gallery, like people go, what? You know, I think... Uh, having that privilege of talking about Ballarat really allowed me to see what amazing things gold built yeah, here. And Norway used to travel heaps for them, yeah. Heaps. Yeah, like, yeah, about four months of each year, I would travel around the world with our state tourism operators and federal tourism body like Tourism Australia and Visit Victoria. Yep. And really just spruik Ballarat, try and get people to want to come here and try and get travel agencies yep. to put Ballarat on their tours. Yeah, okay. and that would be like involving obviously Sovereign Hill. Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> and, and to be fair, I think what I learned about the Archibald Prize is we had definitely different draw cards over the years, but Sovereign Hill was certainly one of the strongest ones for international visitation. Yep. Um, gold is really attractive to mm. international audiences. Um, I think probably less so in the really more um, authentic, how we recognize now our indigenous culture has made leaps and bounds even in my time in Australia over the last eight years in tourism. It really now is the number one authenticator of Australian culture internationally. And I think that colonialization story gets farther away the more interested in the rest of the world gets in indigenous culture, you know, that oldest civilization. Yep. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of watch because I think that really shifted in my last 
year at Sovereign Hill. Yep. Um, and again, my strengths were really in events. We did a lot of things, fun things like Winter Wonderlights. Yeah, and, Wonder Wonderlights uh, is good. They, mm. they, they did that. Yeah, they're still doing that. Uh, you know, I, I can't comment on that because um, I left and then COVID joined. Mm. So when I took my um, departure there to go to NBN, uh, COVID hit almost simultaneously. Yeah. So I don't know that they've had yet that um, opportunity. To run it. It was really good though. That was done really well. What's are you allowed to speak about how much that sort of thing costs or not? Um, what I can speak to is my history in major events. Yep. And I think um, the consumer has now quite a sophisticated demand for what they want. You think about Vivid and you think about White Knight yep. in two major cities where pr primarily all of that is free and people are now so accustomed to seeing magic, yep. right? We can light up the Harbour Bridge and um, the Opera House. That though is a very, very costly type of technology mm. that, um, you know, is relying on micro mapping. Like you map, uh, like a, almost like a cartographer, a building. Yeah. And then you pinpoint exactly where you're going to shade the color for whatever imprint you're going to put on it. Um, so yeah, it's a huge investment. Um, I applaud Sovereign Hill for absolutely um, investing in that year after year and bringing magic out here, but you know where we go from now. Because my role at NBN is really about um, helping the arts industry uh, revolutionize its practice because the internet exists. Like at its core basis, that's a lot of what my goal is to do: yep. help get the industry to see what's possible. And I, I remember, I don't know if you've caught. Uh, any of this, but an American actress started a talk show this year. Her name's Drew Barrymore. Mm -hmm. And if you ever Google it, her, I think it was maybe her opening season during COVID, the whole show was designed around social distancing. And she had the Charlie Angels stars all on her first episode. Yep. And she opened it and they're all there. So she's got Lucy Liu, Cameron Diaz, herself. Um, and she said, one of us isn't here. Can you tell? who it is. So one of them was coming in by hologram. You, could you tell? No, you couldn't tell, right? Whoa. Now, I, that to me, that sort of technology, and I think about Disney who does that sort of technology spectacularly as well. A lot of our entertainment museums or venues or museums haven't really uh, been set up for that sort of access to digital. So some you've got to go back and almost retrofit your building mm -hmm. to be able to have that on demand. And um, museums especially and art galleries don't lend themselves to Wi-Fi easily because they're kind of like Faraday cages, right? They're so climate controlled to protect the artwork yep. that it's made of material that, you know, Wi-Fi doesn't go through very easily. But I think about the magic that we're seeing and how we're going to have some really exciting stuff come up. I, the virtual reality stuff blows my mind. Mm. You know, like five years ago, people were buying houses with um, cinema rooms in yep. them, like that, well, probably longer than five years ago. But that was kind of all the rage, and you wanted to have a really good, high quality um, watching. Now we need to have a virtual reality room. Mm. As that technology, plus you look like a donkey doing it, right? So you God, need it in the car. <laughs> I actually went down to. Uh, what was Theory? it called? Uh, it's in Melbourne, it's called. Uh... Theory. No. V-I-R-I, -I, right near Southern Cross Station? No. Oh. It was in North Melbourne. Okay. It was oh. like high velocity or something like that. Something like that, anyway. But you've got a big concrete jungle building and they've got this big, uh, so you wear the suit, you wear the, the mask and you have the gun and you've got your mates there. 
and it's probably like the building's like yeah 400 square meters and they put you in the game and obviously you've got the headphones on and that so everyone's sort of screaming as they're shooting and running at each other and that yeah sensor tells you when somebody's getting too close like you these triangles sort of come up and you take your mask off during that and it is so funny because your mate's just squealing and he's like, get to the fucking left! And, like, and then you take it off and there's just nothing. And then you nothing. Got the, you got the people watching and they're just laughing, laughing yeah. their head off. Yeah. You look like a donkey. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's good value though. Yeah. Great value. But if we really want to um, grow opportunity, like some of the cool things I get to see now in my role, there was this um, uh, company I'm, I'm, I'm watching out of the ACT and they do some amazing things. So they've got it now that you can film like a symphony orchestra or a ballet and they're, they've put the cameras on the set and taken all that footage so you can go and sit with the conductor or sit with the pianist or be on stage with the dancers while it's happening. Um, then there's some amazing sports stuff coming out. There's this one um, company that has commercialized it as well which is the trick because it's quite expensive technology mm -hmm. but you can now watch an NBA game in your virtual reality suit as if you're on the court. Right. And how they've commercialized some of that is, plus, if you see you like a player's shoes, you can buy them in the app. In the app to wear them? You can on gamble your on your player. Oh you can make a bet. So they've commercialized that whole kind of like, what was that stupid? No, it was not stupid, sorry. Ready Player One? No, what was that game that you used to be able to go into where you had an alter ego, something life? Jumanji? No. Oh, the Game of Life? No. <laughs> No, I'm thinking you might even be too young to remember. It was kind of like the first place you had an avatar. And Second Life? Was it called Second Life? Sims? Sims? I don't know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But this now is totally commercialized. Wow. And I think that's only going to get more and more. So if you could climb into a painting or um, follow the quarterback, piggyback the quarterback yep. <laughs> while in... People are going to want that. People are going to want that Ready Player One experience. Let's mm. just hope we don't have such a shitty planet. <laughs> True. That's Ready Player One. That's that. So, question for you then. Yeah. Have you heard of NFTs? Yes. You have? Yes. What are your thoughts? It feels to me like it's a closed economy, right? Mm. That it is something designed by people who have cryptocurrency for people who have cryptocurrency mm. to collect art that doesn't exist or baseball cards that don't exist or um, I love that there's another way for artists to uh, monetize their work outside of the original piece like I love that component I'm trying to think as a collector what that means for me like I guess if my house is totally smart and ready for it and set up it's a great conversation piece but I'm a tangible person. I get what you're saying. So I'm, so I, I've done a fair bit of research on them. So for yeah. those listening at home, it's non-fungible tokens, so they can't be replicated and you sort of own the IP to it, essentially. Where I think it gets interesting, so I've got no interest in the crypto punks and the, just the art itself. I don't, yeah. I don't care about that. I care that uh, the ones that have utility now, have you seen the utility attached to them? No, so what can the utility do? So, say I've, I've bought one, right, from a guy, a guy named Gary Vee, mm -hmm. and I buy this certain card from him, This uh, and it's he's drawn the picture or whatever. Don't, I don't care about the picture. But in this smart contract, it says to me, it gives you three years access, access to VCon, but the one I've got is going to be, I've got six gifts to give you every year for three years that 
potentially could be, I know it's going to be worth more than I paid, but that's, and, and it sort of gives you access. So we had access cards too. So the access cards is like, um, there's one there that said, go fishing with Gary V for three hours every year, as long as you hold the card. So that's, I like the utility side of that and mm-hmm. that you can't replicate that because you've got to hold it in your wallet to show them that this is what I've got. So it's kind of like an exclusivity it is. thing that it's you like, like, right? Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, so, and then you've got the people that go crazy over the, the collectible stuff. So I, I don't really care about the collectible stuff. There's people that are flipping them for stupid money at the moment. But to me, it doesn't really make sense unless they make it displayable in a way. So they might make it like, I don't know, an Instagram where it's, you can flex your card and show what cards you have on Instagram, I guess. So, like, you have your wallet in your Instagram. People are like, oh, man, he's got this Gary V token. That, like, that doesn't appeal to me, but it's the access that appeals to me. Okay, so let me ask you something that I think we're going to have to face as parents with our own kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the sustainability of, let's even say, a YouTube clip, right? I know mm-hmm. I'm making a jump from NFT over to YouTube, but the amount of um, carbon... Mm. This consumed with a server. And I think, I, I can't remember exactly, but I remember, you remember that horrible baby shark, 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 shark song? <laughs> and that apparently that video on YouTube with all of the watches used more carbon um, emissions yep. than three of Africa's countries put together. Wow. And I think about how just because it's digital doesn't mean... It's not, yeah, because it still needs to run, I guess. And because yeah. I, I have read a little bit about this, but I haven't, I don't have enough research on it. But there was a guy, there was an artist that was talking about this and about to release his thing, and then people were sort of jumping on his back, and he thought, oh, you just hate it. But then he started to look into it, and it was, it was yeah, the, the emissions from starting his own NFT were outrageous. And, like, incredible. Like, more than taking um, a Concorde airplane daily somewhere like yep. there and I think that that is something that is again non-tangible so out of sight out of mind yeah and I even try and think about like if you if I can bring it back down to a YouTube video which seems so innocuous yeah. to us right yeah. um, but the more it's watched the more that server is going everywhere around the world and piping it through and I yeah I can't quite get my head around what that also is going to look like. Because, what the impact will be. Yeah, because yeah. you know you think about um, carbon offsets and, and farming, which you know um, the farm that I uh, farm with um, Simon and his family is about regenerative farming. Mm-hmm. And it's all about carbon neutrality and, and how we can plant more trees. And up. But I can see all that. Yep. And you can see the fruits of your labor. And I get worried that the more digital we get, and if we're not only just in cities that aren't connecting to the planet, but now we're in the room in our house that allows us to put goggles on like Ready Player One, and we're not going out, how do you stay connected to what that looks like? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to answer that. Right? That's crazy. (laughs) Because, you know, um, I I don't know how how long we can sustain that and what are we willing to give up does it replace certain amounts of consumerism that we're so happy to buy things i don't know mm. hmm. tricky stuff i love i love what i'm learning i'm not a tech savvy person they've mbn has brought me on for my um knowledge in tourism and culture yep. which is a absolute privilege to be there but i'm learning more and more actually about the technological side of it and i just think wow this has so many places to go and then everything that we thought wasn't possible covid said yeah totally possible fools 
Um, yeah, sorry, I'm sorry, just explain, I haven't said that you were, mm. so currently working at MBN. Yeah, so I left um, the museum world to take on the national arts and tourism role for uh, NBN. And that really was as the um, NBN came to a finish of the build and yep. turn uh, their focus onto being 100% of a run organization. They wanted to ensure that they were looking at the industries that had significant GDP contributions um, to our um, nation were well represented and that they deeply understood what was going to be needed yep. by those. Um, I literally started oh, seven days into lockdown. Fire. So it was a baptism by fire, and I think it's a two-speed job in many ways. One which has really been about recovery and working out um, how that's going to um, flow, but the rest is really about what does the post-pandemic world look like, yeah. and how do we ensure everybody's equipped to be agile enough? So um, pivot to that point. Yeah, and and and. You know, a lot of that for arts is really tricky because you think about the way we structure culture. You go to many of our nation's institutions and they're free. Like, we collect them because it's the fabric of our society. Yep. Like the War Memorial, perfect example, right? Every child at some stage will make a trip to Canberra in one of their grades and um, go and, and see these incredible institutions that we put into play to pay homage. Yep. A lot of those, you know, they weren't even collecting postcodes. <laughs> so now they've had this baptism of fire. And how do you broaden reach? So mm -hmm. how do we all get to tap into more? And I, I come back again to that virtual reality thing. Like I will probably, there are things in my life I will probably never do just because of location and, and funding. And But yep. if I could participate in them. Virtually. Virtually. There's things that I would never want to miss. Yep. And again, back to that conscience that we have to have about the environment. You know, I may not be able to walk the Great Wall of China, but could I walk a mile of it in virtual reality to get a feel of it and feel confident that that was enough so I didn't have to take an airline over there, use fossil fuel, and yep. who knows? It's actually, have you been on the Great Wall? No. It's really steep. Steep, is oh, it? Oh my God. It's not like you see in the movies where it's like, it is so steep. Really? Yes. Were you prepped for it? Or is this like when you ran the oh, marathon no, no, with very just, little? I was just there with um, one, of my, one of my friends and we took the bus up and I'm looking, I'm like, holy shit, like it is steep. And there's like, they have like 12, uh, 12 like towers you have to go to. But like the majority of the bus didn't make it up. They got to wow. the halfway and they're like, nah, I'm all good. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's cool though. Can't go off topic there. What, um, what would you not give up of what? technology, Josh? Like what part has, has embedded itself so much in your life? Well, the internet. Oh, the internet. Is that yeah. the one? Like, I could definitely? give up. I, yeah, definitely. Internet. Yeah, 100%. You could give up social media, but you couldn't give up searching? Like is it the Googling aspect? Uh, the instant so info? That. I enjoy, like I think the internet has broadened like it's 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 made people able to work from home, obviously, and you've also like you can you can start a business on your phone, um, and then the more people that I can share uh, content with and stuff like that, like even from the gym's perspective, the more reach I can get to different people. Like it just makes it so easy, so much easier. So like I think about social media, mm. and. You know, I have some strong opinions on that. A it lot can of be dangerous. It can be, like, well, is that what you mean? Like in terms you know, of what? I think 
I think you're either a person who's confident living your life out loud Mm -hmm. or you're not. And it's interesting because I'm not scared of opinions and I'm not, but I have no interest in putting my personal life on display, right? Yeah. I have social, but Mm -hmm. that's because uh, as an early adopter at university, it's now my address book. Like I, they've got me, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But, um, yeah, and I think what 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 are you not willing to part with? But for me, it's the instant inf- information, like being able. Yeah, that's true too. You can just Google it. I like. How did we not? Hmm. I didn't think. Well, yeah. I suppose I went encyclopedias. A bit <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Google Maps. I was thinking yeah. that. I should get a Melbourne. I'm like, Jesus. There's no way I was going. Was it the Mways? What are they called? The, yeah, Melways. There's Mel-ways, a whole so generation yeah. that will never know about a Melway. No that particular way. torture. Yep. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's a current, like a current day if you look like? Um, well, in lockdown with, you know, working from my garage or kitchen table, um, I think I've really tried to keep the pattern of a nine to five job. I know, um, I'm really fortunate to work for a corporation that during homeschooling times with lockdowns over the last year, were really comfortable with you trying to fit in your job. Um, you know what I am though? in that nine to five day that I've constructed in my own home and talked to the dog and the cat, mm. I'm lonely. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I... You miss interaction? I totally miss interaction. But this new hybrid of going into an office where people are just on teams, mm. I don't know that we've worked out what that's going to look like either. And I want to go in and interact with people. And I think that's where we talk about post-pandemic. Will we ever go back to that? Or will we always have a, a certain component of it? I'm really social. I learned by osmosis, 80%, you know, as a dyslexic. And for me to be absorbed in it, in that immersion, that's not as easily replicatable yep. online. So, yeah, that loneliness, that's the day looks lonely. I talk to the dog. I talk to the cat. I stick with my 9 to 5. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing that's been challenging, though, is when the gyms close. I feel for you guys. <laughs> Your industry has been... Listen, it's a tough subject. <laughs> it's harsh, right? And it doesn't seem to make sense. Why can I go to the football, but I can't go play yeah, football? Yeah, look, I, I've sort of... I don't like to complain about it. I like to do like little skip videos about it in a fun, lighthearted way. But yeah, I, I'm okay if there's a blanket rule for everybody. But when it's like, you know, you can go to the pub with 50 people. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, not having a pick at any industries. When you get a pub with 50 people um, and then it's like, you know, you wear your mask in but then sit down and you can take off your mask and do whatever. That's the bit that I'm just like, fuck, like, at least let us do some PTs inside or something like that. Um, it's a little bit rough. Yeah, and I, I would observe that there was definitely an advantage for people who had equipment in their home versus those mm. that didn't. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate all the city folk living in apartments like with not a lot of space, right? In Melbourne. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Um, I've got some questions for you. Yeah. So, I didn't send you these beforehand. I normally send these to people. I don't think oh, I sent these you're to you. No, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. I'm ready. Uh, what's something that people would be surprised to know about you? Well, most of the time it's the fact that I had a reality TV show. <laughs> that's yeah, the one that's thing. A, that's that, one. That, that would be the one that I would say hey, whenever it comes up with my colleagues or anyone. They're like, what? No, Doesn't, you don't, you know, I think mostly because I don't live out loud, but yeah. GFC will make you do anything to keep your house. Yeah, true. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I didn't surprise me when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you love the most apart from family? Um, I like wine. 
Josh. Mm. I really like wine. I like everything. Well, no, I'm, well, I'm growing. Um, Don't worry. No, I'm growing an appreciation for oh. broader than just red, which was my um, love for a number of years. No, I like wine and food. Mm. You know, I love um, that whole industry of, um, yeah, maximizing the incredible gifts that are enjoyable in our planet. Like food can bring such incredible joy. Yeah. Drink brings such incredible joy and really working on that. I love it. That what, your favorite place in town? Ah, oh, controversial, mm. right? Mm. Um, it's roamed a fair amount. Um, because I chase the food, the style of the food more often than, than not. The place. Okay. Yeah. yeah, than the place. And some places change their food midway and I like people who are, are places that are really working on the simplicity of flavors, right? Like I'll say, I had an amazing cauliflower salad at Higher Society. Yeah, is that uh, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That was divine. Okay. Things I probably never would have put together. Yep. But yeah, it's those things that are kind of simple. If I can't name four of the ingredients in a dish, it's fun once, but it's not a passion. <laughs> It just kind of feels a little bit <laughs> like wank. <laughs> One egg. <and laughs> well, no. You, know, you all of a sudden read and you have to ask, what's this? what's this? You can do that twice on a menu, but by the time you're asking what the third word is, you're you're feeling like a jackass. <laughs> yeah, okay. Shame should not be built into the experience. So, so high society at the moment. It's that, yeah, I have to say that was good, but they did abandon all their milk choices and a lot of the stuff, the more whole food issue things they had. And then I really um, had... Great stuff, you know, probably things everybody says, Moon and Mountain, mm. Ragazone, yeah. um, John and Luz. Anything that's kind of new and up and coming, you'll give it a couple of cracks and find the, something you like. What was the last one there? Uh, John and Luz, Johnny and Luz. Oh, Johnny and Luz, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're all good spots. Yeah. Um, what are you most afraid of? That I'm a bad parent. Ooh. Mm. That's a bit rough. I know, right? Like, what if I really botched this job? Like, that's something... I don't think that it's going to be you that botches it. I think it's going to be the people that your kid surrounds themselves with if they're going to botch it. But you think about when you grew up, what made you not listen to the peer pressure and made you... I don't, oh, yeah. Well, right? it depends. It really does depend on what type of person you are, I think. But, like, I was so scared to touch like, anything. Like, I've never done drugs, never done, never had a smoke in my life because of what my dad was like... If, if it doesn't kill you, I will kill you. That's what <laughs> legit was. That's what it was like. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, yeah, I wasn't really into the peer pressure thing. But in saying that, like I, would, I didn't really hang around with too many of that sort of crowd. But you can see how full people fall into that crowd, and it becomes normal. Okay, so let me phrase that back to you, right? Because you're assuming that drugs and alcohol are the worst demon. Did you fall into pressure in bodybuilding? No. Nothing. Nothing. So you had no, didn't feel any pressures in that world at all? No, I just wanted to do it, so I wanted to do it. I, it's, it's hard, that bad parenting thing, because I also think, you know, you, you're only a, a partial responsible, partially responsible for it, right? And yeah. then you've got to let them go in, into the world. Mm -hmm. But I want to arm resilience, which feels really tricky in this social media world. As well, well where I'm blind. TikTok's and that getting pretty bad these days. I know, and I, yeah, I don't know. So that terrifies me. That keeps me up at night, even more so than like climate change and things where you think, oh God, I had a baby in a world that's going to fall apart around them and it's going to be Mad Max. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think just that I'm the cause of half the crap they have to 
go through in life is a really hard pill to swallow. Yep. Mm. Stay, mm. stay, Jen. <laughs> um, what's something someone said to you that you that's just stuck with you in life? Is there anything that someone said to you back in the day that's really just you've really carried carried along? You've never forgot it. I think there's probably a theme. Like I can't isolate when the first time I heard it. But um, for me, it stems back to that resilience, that idea of not taking anything personally, Mm -hmm. that learning to walk in other people's shoes, that it's not always about us. So um, you can go down that rabbit hole of um, guessing yourself because of something someone else said, and it might actually have nothing to do with you. Whereas if you really just don't take anything personally, you're on your journey, you're allowing people their space to be on their journey you're strong. I think that's probably the most effective, and I think that's the one that also requires a lot of work. Because look at the parenting. I'm already second guessing, right? Yeah, yeah. And you think, nah, you gotta just um, give everybody their space and don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Yeah. Oh, uh. mm. <laughs> what? Go. Just reverting back to you saying that. <clears throat> You can speak your mind pretty freely when someone says something. Yeah. Do you ever just think yourself, I take it personally, Jen? I know, right? <laughs> I, I'm judgy McJudgerson <laughs> so bad. And what's awful is what makes you judgy, and then you like start to unpack that, and you're like, oh, God, I'm dreadful. <laughs> um, do you have any mentors or people that you really look up to? Um, I've had, and something that I value the most, I've had a lot of grace. I've had people um, show a lot of grace. Now, sometimes that's in the form of financial, like giving you a break. Sometimes that's in the form of advice and wisdom and people actually really honestly sharing in a non-competitive way. Um, Sometimes that's been gifts, like random acts of kindness. I feel blessed for the amount of grace, and I hope that that is something that I can put back out there. But yeah, that's the one thing that sticks to me, and always, it's like, I, I, I don't know, Anderson. Is this, a, is this a, a mentor? Yeah. Who's your mentor? Like mentor, My mentor. Like, like person that you really look up to, like is there a certain Yeah, person? but that's what I'm saying. I think it's anybody who's given me that grace. So you don't have a it's a person, generosity. It's just a general, it's just a... And I've had a lot of people have generosities. And I think that putting a mentor um, thing on one person means that they can never fail. Mm-hmm. Right? Where if I focus on the grace that they give me, it, it can be in that time that they were gracious and I'm very respectful of that. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've lived anywhere long enough to really build that mentoring thing in. I've certainly had people I look up to for what they um, espouse in life, but I may not know them personally. Yeah, okay, yeah. I may not value it um, in the same way as if they guided me. Like, I think about you, and the like. The one thing I've always described about you is what incredible gumption Oh, I remember you saying gumption. Fuck, I was like, gumption. what gumption mean? Um, gumption is just that incredible um, drive and will to want to achieve stuff. And for such a young person, like, you did not waste any time. Nah, no, you did not waste and like straight out of high school in and you were never scared to fail so you obviously had um, help and guidance along the way and, and mentors no no you had no mentors not mentors I think I was just more uh, I probably 
didn't really try to think too much about it. I don't think I really thought. Um, I didn't think what what's the word I'm looking for here. Where you don't. You don't know how bad it could get. I guess you you can just throw yourself out there. But I, I don't. There was no like. I definitely have people saying, you know, you shouldn't do this, shouldn't do that. Always. I don't, I would have told you about that. Before. Yeah. I. You're a rare beast, though, in that sense of what you've achieved. You know, like I think about your age and having been there. Um, right when you uh, were planning a wedding and opening, you know, business number three, business number four. Um, yeah, I think that's rare. Gumption. Gumption. Do you remember the other word you used to say? No, what? Tell me. Is it self-efficacy? Isn't that what you used to self -efficacy. say? Self-efficacy. I'm pretty sure you used to say that to Oh, me. really? Okay, like maybe. You know that you can do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's what it means. Mm. Well, from memory. Belief. Belief, yeah, belief. Mm. Where gumption is a little more, you know, blind bravery. Gumption. <laughs> Gumption's Gumption. Gumption. Joshua. <laughs> Joshua. Uh, last one for you. Who yeah. do you want to see on the podcast next? Ooh, who do I want to tap on the shoulder? Mm. Oh, I've already discussed that with you. I love um, the designs coming out of Jen Wallace. Yeah. At this the, moment. The girl I followed the other day. Yeah, the girl yeah, you followed on yeah. Insta. So, um... Also, you know, full disclosure, great friend of mine, mm -hmm. but incredible interior designer, uh, doing a lot of both residential stuff and commercial stuff. So I think she did she the Renard, she it? did Renard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and does some of the other restaurants and and some great things. She was um, on the cover of a couple of magazines as well for her work at Lola. Okay. So as the stylist there, so I think about um, what makes a room make people feel. Home with the invite the atmosphere. Yeah, it makes yeah. you feel like this is my jam. Yeah. Um, I'd love you to unpack that with her because I think cool. as someone who is a creator of space yep. for fitness, that's kind of a cool thing to. She lives here, yeah? She lives here in Ballarat. Ripper. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm get her on. That'd be awesome. Uh, anything you want to say to listeners out there before we leave? No, just how great this is. And I love that you've expanded into... Gumption. You got your gumption. <laughs> no, it's amazing. I'm sitting in Josh's studio, which is so cool. Um, he's got his little neon sign and the full yep. setup. Yep. Yeah, it's you don't nice. do things by half. No, painted the joint. Mm -hmm. Me and Zachy Budge. My brother did the floor for me. Your brother did the floor? I stole some <laughs> uh, gold-class cinema seats yeah. that were broken. Yeah, you got your couch for your peanut gallery. And then the... This table, right? Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to find a table that's a nice distance? Oh, yeah, because this wouldn't be one that's really like, yeah, that you eat on. Nah, or, yeah. it was really... It, you had to order Did you build it, it? No, I had to order it in from... Um, it was a special... Uh, where was it? It was Office Works, but I don't have them on the floor anywhere. Yeah. So I went to all these shops, and there's nothing... Like, I sat down with someone, I'm like, nah, this is awkward. No. <laughs> and there was, you had to order them in, so... Yeah, and then a little fridge with a bit of alcohol, a few bit of fireball and that. Yeah, well, I love the idea that you can have a peanut gallery. Like, if I had brought my entourage to heckle you during the podcast, had I known you had the gold you class seats, I totally would have brought an entourage. Okay, well, there we go. I've been like, woo-woo. Anyway, any guests coming on, you can bring anyone you want upstairs. Mm -hmm. I've had a few people see them, actually. Yeah? Yeah, it's been yeah. Pretty, it's pretty good, actually. Sit there and listen. Yeah. Have a beer. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks, Jennifer. Awesome. Thanks, Joshy. Thanks for tuning in, team. Once again, would appreciate any reviews you've got down below. Have a great day.